0: The man was shocked when he got up to heaven. He said, I was shocked, confused, and bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, not, nor the lights or even its decor. But it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gas. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never had anything to say nice. Bill, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking incredibly well. I nudged to Jesus, what's the deal, man? I'd love to hear your take. How would all these sinners get up here? And God must have made a mistake. And why is everybody so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush child, he said, they're all in shock. No one thought they'd even be seeing you. (laughs) You know, every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. And I've used this saying a good bit, and it's definitely not original with me, and many of you have heard it and heard it said and stated, but just going to church... Just singing, teaching, leading, whatever you do in church doesn't make you any more a Christian than standing in a garage will make you a car. You know, know, there are more things involved going on than what a lot of times we will visibly allow ourselves to see. In Luke chapter 18, we have a, a parable that Jesus teaches and he and and we're going to talk about and and uh, and kind of put this under stereotyping believers, categorizing and institutionalizing believers. Uh, Bailey Smith used to have a a particular guy that would when he was in revival, and he would come in on a war wagon, and he had long hair, you know, down below his waist, and he looked like. One of the Hales angels, and he just looked like he needed to get saved to the religionists. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and, oh, when he would walk into church, the church would sneer and, and judge, and, and here he'd come in with all, all that uh, motorcycle get up, all the leather, and all these pointed, sharp object, objects he was wearing. And, oh, the church would just judge him to death. But he truly was a born-again believer, and he was on Bailey Smith's board and and a soul winner. But uh, it's just amazing, I think, sometimes. And I think what we'll see here is Jesus is addressing this issue. Don't you think that the day that Jesus spoke when he was preaching Matthew 7, beginning with verse 21... I want you to read these verses, and we'll jump back to Luke 18. Don't you think that they... uh, might have been a bit surprised uh, when they heard this. Not all people who sound, look, act religious are even godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On Judgment Day, many will tell me, "Lord Lord, we've preached or prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. We've performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, Jesus says, "Depart from you, depart from me, you who work iniquity, for I never knew you." That had to be, to a Jewish crowd, a slap in the face. You see, Jesus, when he points in in this parable, he talks about, in Luke 18, if you want to look at it, in in beginning with verse 9. He says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great self confidence. I mean, they were proud of themselves and scorned everybody else. (laughs) Now, I've been pastoring since 1980 full-time. You know what that means? That means you preach every Sunday, Wednesday. It don't mean you get paid full-time pay. It just means you're doing everything full-time. And everybody, and, and there are people who judge me on that because there are those that say a preacher shouldn't get paid, and I can take you to verses and blow you slap out of the water. That not only should I be paid, but a preacher should be paid double honor. So, I mean, and, and we've got all this stereotyping, you know. But we are, if we're not careful, we're ri- we will ridicule you. We will judge you as a believer. We'll criticize you in a, in a heartbeat real quick because, you see, we think we're better than you are. At least that's sometimes the belief. To scorn is an attitude of despising, ridiculing, and judging. There was a very lost and wicked rebellion man who decided that it would be good for his business if he would join the local church. So he decided, even though he was an adulterer and an alcoholic and uh, and everything else, he decided, I'm going to join the local church. So he went down and, and uh, walked down after the service. And, and when he got there, he told them, he said, Now, I want you to know there ain't no sin in my life. And, and I've grown up in the church. And all of a sudden, they readily accepted him. He walked out so proud until he got home and told his wife, who his wife was a godly woman. And he told her that he had joined the church. And, boy, she, she just exploded. She said, "You hypocrite. What do you mean going to church and, and telling them all this stuff that wasn't true? What you really need to do is go back and be honest with that church." So he thought about it, and got under conviction of his wife, and so he decided, next Sunday, he entered into the church doors, walked down into the, the service, decided he was going to confess everything he had lied to. He got up in front of everybody, and he said, Y'all, I just want you to know I was dishonest. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an adulterer, and, and I'm sorry. And immediately, they revoked his membership. Cast him out. All of a sudden, he went back to his seat, sat down there for a minute, and heard the closing prayer and walked out scratching his head. He said, You know, church folks are strange. He said, I told a lie, and they voted me in. I told the truth, and they kicked me out. The fact of it is, a lot of times we don't want to tell the truth about us. We don't want nobody to know, really, what the truth is. You see, Jesus makes a point here in Luke 18 about this parable, and he, he zeroes in in verse 9, and he, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. They were self-confident and appeared to be righteous, but they despised others. Now, for, the, for, the, for some of you who walked in here and said, well, I can tell you right now, this sermon don't apply to me. I'm just better than what you've described. Well, I going to throw more, four more descriptions out here. And just find out how good you really are and if this parable even applies to you. First of all, if you're a person and, and you look at people who don't go to church and think you're better than they are because they they don't go and you do, I just want you to know Jesus is talking to you. Second of all, do you ever look at people in prison or out of prison or... Uh, had just got out or just went in and you think you're better than they because you've never been to prison i just want you to know now if you think you're better than they jesus is talking to you the third one do you ever look at people who are divorced and think that you're better than they because after all you haven't been divorced <laughs> you ever look at people like that i just want you to know jesus is looking and talking to you If you ever look down your nose at anyone for any reason that you think it's you're better than they are, I just want you to know Jesus is speaking to you in this parable. You know, we have this tendency, and it's among the fellowship of God's people, and it's like a cancer. Because it affects us in attitude. And we get to thinking and growing and doing and all these things. And all of a sudden we get to say, you know what? I'm better than they are. Oh, no, you're not. You ain't better than nobody. And if you think for a moment you're trying to impress God. Just let me let you know in, in on something that God. God don't want you impressing Him. He's impressed enough with Jesus, if you're a believer, that's all the impression that he needs. Now, it doesn't give us a license to go and say and do and act and be and, and ugly and, and, or any of those things. But a lot of times I think we're caught up in the same thing and, and we're, we're intertwined in this story that Jesus lays out before us. So let's look first of all at the two men. Verse 10 says, two men went into the temple to pray, and the one Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee and the publican were opposite ends when it came to reputation, when it came to occupation. They were just opposites. The Pharisee was noted for his religion and his special keeping of the law. He was considered to be a religious leader, teacher, model of the law. The name Pharisee means the separated one and speaks of how they separated themselves from an ordinary life to study and to interpret the law. They controlled the synagogues. They exercised great influence and control over the people. And from a Jewish perspective, they were admired and revered. The Pharisee reminds me of the modern-day model citizen in the community. They live clean moral lives. Their motto is, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't run with girls or boys who do. Now, let me tell you something. You may have cleaned up a lot of your act, and that's a good thing. Because I believe we shouldn't be a stumbling block to the weaker brother. But just because you cleaned out your outer life and you've cleaned up your attitude, now you've developed a self-righteous one, be careful. Now look at the public. There was no one in Israel that was more despised, more hated, and more ostracized than a publican and a tax collector. They worked for the Roman government, collecting taxes for Rome. They were considered renegades, traitors. And in most cases, they were cheats. They robbed, plundered, cheated, conned, stole, and lied, and whatever. Now, most of those characteristics, we say, the person's lost. Really? Really? Well, the Bible says, uh, well, I'm not quoting what... One particular little verse you're taking out of context is saying, "I'm quoting what the Father's saying here. I'm quoting what Jesus is saying here." Everything in this parable would suggest that the publican, the publican, was the bad guy. Two brothers lived a very wild and wicked life. Maybe some of you fall in that category, that you've lived a wild and wicked life. But on the surface, no one would ever have guessed, guessed it because they were an expert con artist who disguised themselves in deceitful behavior by coming to church and giving large sums of money. After all, you give a big sum of money to a Baptist church, and some we will put you on a pedestal. However, one day one of those brothers died. The other brother approached the new pastor and asked him to preach his brother's funeral. But the pastor knew the reputation of this man's brother. He knew this man was not very good in character, but his brother said, Preacher, if you will just say my brother was a saint, I'll give you $500. Well, the preacher thought about it, and he said, You know, I don't want to lie. But he said, I sure do need $500. He said, Okay. So at the funeral, the pastor stood before as Often pastors do, and the body's laid out in the coffin, and he looked out to the crowd, and he said, Before you was an ungodly sinner. Oh, he was wicked to the very core. He was unfaithful to his wife, hot-tempered with his children, ruthless in his business, and a hypocrite at church. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) When we go comparing, guys... I mean, who is, who is the ruler? Who is the measuring stick? I mean, if it's not Jesus, then I don't want to hear it. One of these men lived a respectable life, and one of these men lived a reprehensible life, repulsive. Well, it's one thing to look at someone. It's another person to listen to them. You want to know what's in a person's heart? Listen to them pray. You want to know about what's really in a person's mind and what they think? Just sit and talk to them a little while. You'll find out. Well, let's look at that because Jesus reveals that in verse 11. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially like this tax collector, this publican, oh God, who's standing over there in the corner. I've never cheated. I don't commit it. I didn't commit adultery. I fast twice a week, and I tithe my income. Well, I can just imagine if he was to catch him humming around the house, it might be the Mac Davis song, It's Hard to Be Humble When You're Perfect in Every Way. Before in the morning when he's brushing his teeth and combing his hair, I can sing him, looking at himself, How great thou art. I hope you don't do that. Man, you hear him bragging on what he did do. You hear him bragging on what he didn't do. He was just bragging one thing. Everything, you know. Man, I've pastored some of these people down through the years. And the basis for their standing with God is how they compare themselves to everyone else. I mean, by golly, I ain't that bad. I ain't as bad as so-and-so down the road. I hope you ain't ever done that. I think I'm a pretty good guy after all. I don't I didn't shoot my dog like George did. And I got news for you, that's a poor comparison. Three surgeons were bragging about their surgical skills. The first surgeon said I operated on a man that had fallen across a railroad track. And a train had severed his legs below the knee. And after surgery and my physical therapy, that man won this year's Boston Marathon. Boy, that's a mighty tall bragging, ain't it? The second surgeon said, that's nothing. I operated on a woman that had been thrown headfirst through the windshield of a car. And her face was sliced into ribbons. After surgery, she won the Miss America contest. The third surgeon said, man, that, I can beat all of that. I operate on the man that was sucked into an air intake of a jet engine. The only thing was recovered was one tiny piece of brain matter, no matter, and it, was in, it wasn't any larger than a pea. And from that piece, I reconstructed the entire man, and now he's a U.S. senator. <laughs> and you can take that any way you want to about our government, but I'll tell you this. Some of your bragging is about as bad. <laughs> we need to be careful because this ain't about us. It ain't about our best. It's about His best for us. That's a haughty prayer. Well, let's look at a humble prayer, verse thirteen. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. Now, both of these guys are lost. "...but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." This publican stood in the background not as to be seen, whereas the Pharisees stood where everyone could see him so he could be seen by everybody what he did. The publican was so full of shame and felt so unworthy that he wouldn't even look toward heaven, and he kept beating upon his chest. The beating of the breast was considered a sign of desperation and humiliation. It was an an indication of his unworthiness on the part of the publican. It was as if to say he was sick and tired of being sick and tired with his life. Pharisee prayed within himself, to himself, reminding God of all his good works. But the publican cried out and was shamed of his condition. He would not, he could not, he did not even look up toward heaven. Pharisee began to brag on all that what he had done but the, the publican cried out God be merciful to, unto me a sinner it's kind of like Paul who was a believer who prayed and and recorded first Timothy 1 15 this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am the chief now Paul wasn't bragging about being a sinner and he wasn't bragging about that he had the greatest sin of all. He had the proper attitude towards sin. You see, he saw it for the way it was. And it grieved his heart. And sometimes I'm not so sure that when we choose as a saint to sin, that we really grieve our hearts. I'm not talking about what might cause sin. I'm talking about what God's Word calls sin. So we see these two men, they're totally different on how what they looked like and how they prayed. And then the third thing we see, and we see them leave, these two men leaving and going away from the house of God. One went away rejected by God, one went away righteous before God. You see, verse 14 says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. Verse 14, the Lord Jesus draws a conclusion, and, and it's a story that shocked his Jewish listeners. Remember, the Pharisees wore the white hats. The publicans wore the black hats. If there had been a vote taken that day in the crowd of who would, it, who would have been the man who safely entered into the kingdom of God, everybody would have said, it's the Pharisee. Unfortunately, the only vote that counts is God the Father and through the Son, the blood of His Son, and the cross of Jesus. You're going to walk out of here just a little while, not long. You're going to walk out of here either having rejected the Father that saved you, or righteous in your standing with Jesus. I believe with all my heart that you and I, we have an appointment with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not going to not speak to every man. I believe he does. Now, I'm not a Calvinist, and I say that because I'm realizing the Southern Baptist Convention is being taken over by Calvinism. And I just want you to know that I am not a Calvinist. I do not believe that this thing has been predetermined and that God's willing people to go to hell and willing people to be saved. I believe that he takes the Holy Spirit and uh, that he speaks to man. He reveals to them their need for salvation. And if they don't receive it by their own choice, they will go to hell. That's not God doing that. That's man doing that. Now, that's what separates you from being a Calvinist and being one who I believe accepts what Jesus teaches about salvation. And, and I'm going to have to give, bring you a little bit more into that in the days ahead because I'm afraid you don't know. And I know of a church right now that's close and dear to my heart that's split right down the middle for the third time because of it. And I want you to know the difference. I want you to know what one is. I'll tell you, I am not one. I have been, I'm evangelical, and I believe that God gave man a free will and choice. And if you don't believe that, you're in the wrong church. I'll tell you where to go. Because I ain't going to fight you. I don't believe, I don't believe what you believe, in, and you evidently don't believe what I believe, and you ain't going to go tearing up and stirring up around here. I can tell you that right now. I'll fight you. I'll get in the flesh. I done been here 26 years. I'm going to outdo you. And I got enough guys in here that are just edgy enough with the enemy. They'll fight with me. And you're going to lose, I promise. You may whoop me, but you ain't going to whoop him. One day, there was an elementary school teacher. And she had these uh, kids in the class. And this little girl named Susie got up and told her story and then gave the moral. She said, my father owns a farm, and every week we, we put eggs in a basket and take it to the market. But one day we hit a bump, and all those eggs bumped out of the basket and smashed. The teacher said, well, I hate to hear that. Well, what's the moral of that story? She said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, then Lucy got up and said, my dad farms too. One day we put 12 eggs in an incubator, but only eight hatched. Teacher said, well, I'm sorry about that. What's the moral of that story? She said, don't count up your chickens until they hatch. Well, then there was a rambunctious Billy. He said, I'll tell you right now. My story is my Uncle Ted's airplane was shot down in the war. He parachuted to a remote island with nothing but a big old bottle of whiskey. He was surrounded by 12 dozen hostile soldiers. So he drank all that whiskey rolled up his sleeves and killed all 12 of them with his bare hands. teacher said, my goodness, Billy, what could possibly be the moral of that story? Don't mess with my Uncle Ted when he's been drinking. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Some of you ain't no better than Ted when somebody's done messed with you too. You see, you got a smile on your face at the church, and you just look so pretty, and and, and you look, you smell so good, but boy, you just get off the track a little bit, and you don't look no better than Ted. I know you. I heard somebody say the other night, preacher, sometimes you say those things, and I think you's at my house. Well, I don't go to your house. And I don't listen, and I ain't a fly on your wall, but I know, what, I know you're a human being, and I know what junk goes on sometimes in human beings' life. And if you judge everybody on stages that we are spiritually, you're going to make major spiritual mistakes, and you're going to be surprised at some of the people <laughs> that's in heaven. If you're trusting in the way you live, your attitude, appearance, and actions, don't get me wrong. I think we need to be a, have a good moral life. I think we need to be a good testimony. I think we need to watch what we watch on TV. I think we, I need, to, we need to watch what we say. And we need to be, be cautious what we allow these little ears to hear. Not just our children, but us. But your moral life, deeds, and kindness are not going to take you to heaven. They'll be like the Pharisees, they'll leave leave you lost as a ball in tall grass. If you're dependent on your church membership, baptism, Christian service, works to save you, then you'll leave church the same way the Pharisee did, lost as a goose. If you're trusting in anything other than what Jesus said, and that is to receive Him, to believe in Him, and to proceed in Him in faith... That's what he says. That's not hard, is it? Just walk in faith with him. And learn. And Romans eight twenty eight and 29, let him conform his image in you. He, he's the only one who can do that. You can't do it because it's supernatural. You got to let him do it. You got to get yourself out of the way. Let us get in the way. We mess it up every time. It's not a case where we're saved by works. We're saved to work. Did you hear that? We're not saved by works. We're saved to work. It's not a case where it's faith plus works equals salvation. It's faith that works, which equals salvation. Good deeds are not the basis of salvation, but good deeds can be the behavior of salvation and should be. When we leave this church today, you will leave either rejecting the God who sent Jesus to save you, or you'll walk out of here in the righteousness of our Lord. Now, I have to leave it there. I'm not God. If I've done anything, I've done done what I can do. But the Holy Spirit has to reveal this, has to cut like a two-edged sword. It has to cut to the very sunder of your marrow of your bones and spiritually let you see, am I going to be in heaven or am I going to be surprised like the beginning of this message with your head bowed?